man. Well, guys, grab a Bible, if you would, and make your way to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. Sunday mornings, we've been making our way verse by verse through the book of Daniel, and we're excited to be there again this morning. Hey, if you need a Bible, there's some around you and cheers nearby. If you need to kind of follow along electronically, or you have your own Bible, one way or another, we're hoping you would connect. That's true for everybody here in the sanctuary. Those who are in our overflow, hope you got a Bible and you're opening. Also, you guys who are joining online, hey, we want you to be fully with us. We want you to be in a space where you would be connecting, and so hoping you got a Bible and you would open it up to Daniel chapter 12. As you're making your way there, maybe just a quick FYI and just speaking into it, Sunday mornings we've been working verse by verse. We've made our, been working through the book of Daniel. It's been a good study, and this morning we find ourselves reaching the conclusion. Yeah, we've been working through the whole thing, and we get to the very last verses of the book of Daniel this morning. That's exciting. We want to hear what it says, but I also kind of wanted just to say, at least I don't know where it is for you. For me, it actually feels a little bit sad. I mean, it's just weird that way. I mean, maybe it's that way for others as well, but, you know, I've enjoyed our study in Daniel. Whenever we leave a study, I kind of feel like I'm saying goodbye to a friend. It's like, bye, I'm going to miss you, you know, sorry. You know, it just feels that weird. Like, it's like, man, I'm gonna, really going to be sad to see it go, and yet so glad for what God has done, and pray that even today he would. That today, just knowing in these final verses of Daniel, he would speak something to us, and we just need to hear it. So let's take a moment and pray as we do before we study the Bible, and just ask that God would open up his word to us. I'm leading in prayer, but I'm hoping you would be praying the same as well. So join me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that you tell us is alive and is powerful. Lord, that it works inside of us. Thank you for your word that is everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, thank you for speaking it to us. Thank you for the book of Daniel. Lord, as we approach these last verses, I pray that this morning you would speak to us. God, we need that. We need you to do that. Would you help us to understand? Would you open up our understanding to comprehend, to put it together, to see what you're saying? God, if that happens, that's going to be you. But God, I'm asking for more. I'm asking for what you tell us your word does, that it's that sharp two-edged sword that has that way of doing a work inside of us that nothing else can, transforming us from the inside out. God, we need that. And, and just asking today that you would give us, each and every one of us, ears to hear, believing that if we hear you, there might be some similar things, but there might be very different. What you have for each one of us is unique, and it's something that we needed to hear today from you. God, would you give us ears to hear what you're saying to us? Would you give us ears to hear your Spirit speaking through your Word? I ask for that for me and for each one of us now. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the book of Daniel, it's been a good study, and yet we find ourselves just approaching the, the final verses of it. And one of the interesting things is that the book of Daniel really ends with two questions. Two questions that are asked in the text, two questions that kind of lay out almost how you would almost end the book. It, first question was, how long till all this is fulfilled? We covered that last week. There is the angel asked that question that if you could feel the weight of Daniel, you'd almost be asking like, so when is this all going to happen? <laughs> I mean, when is everything that God promised us going to take place? And to that question, well, Daniel hears from the Lord and it's a good answer. But then he comes to the last part of it, and he has one final question. Notice it with me there in verse 8. He says, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Daniel asks, and it's a good question. It's a good question that he's looking on. It, it becomes the question that ends the book of Daniel, and it's what Daniel needed to hear as he ends the book. But it's included for us, and I think it's the same. That in some ways, it's just the absolute right way to kind of get to the conclusion of Daniel and carry home what he has for us, is Daniel looks on all of it, and he's just asking, Lord, where is, how does this all work? How does it all end? How does it all come together? And as he asks those questions, he does so with an honesty. He just tells us, I, I didn't understand. I, I, I don't understand. There's, I, I don't understand how all this works. In the book of Daniel, he gives us a lot of interesting things, some of them prophetic. 
things that are speaking about things to come. If you've been with us in the book of Daniel, we've talked about the Antichrist. We've talked about the Great Tribulation. We've talked about things that God's going to work in the midst of all of those spaces, things that are yet still to come. Daniel's heard those as we heard those, but here's the interesting thing. Prophecy is very powerful. It is true. It, it, it gives us light into things, but if we're honest, sometimes prophecy gives us more questions than answers. Sometimes, you know, seeing the things that he begins to unpack for us, we're like, okay, that's interesting. How does that work? I mean, how is, what about this and this and this and this? Sometimes with every understanding of things prophetic, instead of it becoming more clear, we have more questions. Now, maybe that's not you, but for some of us, it is. We find ourselves gazing at that, and that's where Daniel is. He's in this place. He's like, I don't understand. I, 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 how does that work? Where is this all going? How is this going to end? How does it all come together? How does every part play in? I have questions, Daniel says. And it's to that that God speaks to him a very powerful word, a word that gives it to us this way. Notice with me there, just in verse 9, and he, that is the Lord speaking to him, says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed and sealed up until the time of the end. Yeah. Hey, gaze to the last verse, says the same thing, verse 13, but you go your way. Pause there, catch it here. That's what God is saying. God gets to this final moment and kind of bookends a couple of thoughts with the same words. Hey, Daniel, go your way. Hey, Daniel, this is what you need to hear from me. And that's exactly what God's going to speak into this moment, a place where he's going to tell us this. And we're going to walk through this a little bit this morning, and we'll see like four different aspects of this. But as clear as I can say it right now, please understand they're not separate. They're all intertwined, so that really it's one commission, one command that can be just summed up in go your way. That place where Daniel needed to hear, we need to hear that he's going to invite us down a path that will take us into everything that God has for us. He's going to invite us down this journey that one more time is pictured in this reality. So let's begin taking it apart. Let's go back to verse 8 again. And just saw how, see how it begins. It says, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Daniel, you need to go your way. And then he just uh, highlights for him again something that we talked about in more detail last week. He says, these words are sealed. These words are things that will be clear in that day that will all come together, but you're not going to see them or fully understand them here. And there is a sense of that reality that flows into this moment. God is so much bigger than who we are. I mean, I think that should be clearly understood. He's the, the beginning and the end. He's the one who's working. And sometimes he just lets us know that his ways are impossible for us. I love how he says it in Isaiah. He says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Almost as if this like, you couldn't understand if I tried to explain it to you. I mean, it's bigger than who you can possibly comprehend at this moment. I love the way Deuteronomy 29, 29 says it, where he just says, you know, the, the secret things, they belong to the, to the Lord but those things which are revealed belong to us. He tells us what we need, but with this solid understanding that his ways are bigger than that. And so Daniel, he's seen a bunch of stuff. He's seen things prophetic. He's seen things that are going to happen, but he also just admits, I don't understand it all. And that's a powerful reality for you and for me as well, to step into this and recognize, you know, God is working something in our generation God is working something in the history of man. He's the beginning and the end. He's pulling it all together. But our limitation is there. And so out of that, God just says, hey, <laughs> these things are sealed, but you, Daniel, he says, verse 9, he said, go your way, Daniel. I think there's a sense that you should hear this to Daniel, but I think there's a sense that you should be able to exchange Daniel's name for yours. That if you'll hear this this morning, it would be go your way, your name as if God would be talking to you personally, not anybody else, that he would be telling you, hey, I want you to go your way. Yeah, your way? 
yet your way because that's unique. I think about this whole thing is that the Bible would lay out to us is that God has a plan and a path for your life that is altogether unique. That he would use the terms like running your race, running the space that's there. And the key for us at this moment is it's yours. This is not something interchangeable. This is not a one-size-fits-all thing. There's a place where God would say, hey, I have this for you. You go the way that I have for you. You go your way. I like how he gives it to us in the book of Hebrews, where he gives us the same metaphor, and he says, hey, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says, here's the thing, you just need to run your race, the the race that is set before you. Sometimes people will picture this much like one of those races where you have your own lane, like run in your lane, (laughs) run the race that I have for you, like somebody else's race, that's their race, it's not your race. I love the way the Gospel of John ends and Peter's kind of there and Jesus is telling him things about his race and uh, Jesus, you know, Peter's like, well, what about John? What about his race? He's like, what is that to you? That's his race. You know, you run your race. You run the thing that I have for you. You live in that space that is there, and God is actually working that. I think about how he gives it to us in Ephesians 2. It says, For where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's a very powerful verse. But if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're his. God says, I've taken you on as a personal project. You're my workmanship. I'm working on you. I'm making you. I'm forming you. And then he lets us know. I prepared your race ahead of you. I have already gone ahead of you and I've made your lane. I've prepared good works for you. I have things that I have for your world, your life. Hey, live those. Walk those. Live in that. That's the reality that God is speaking into Daniel's life. That he's calling him, hey, you do that. Now, one of the powerful realities about that is it is the race that's right in front of you. That's what he said there in in Hebrews 12, right? Run the race that's right before you. Run the race that's set before you. Here's where I want you just to kind of grab this and think about this for a moment. So Daniel's been thinking big things. He's been thinking eternal things. I mean, the Antichrist, the, the tribulation, the how all this is going to work out. And he's trying to put it all together. And God just says, here's the thing. Run the race that's right in front of you. Hey, you go your way. And there's a call and a challenge to us to live the life that God has us to live. And this becomes a very effective but very needed challenge. That the call for your life is that space where you would do that, where you would say, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be living in this space. We've talked about this in other spaces, and so let me just quickly just affirm again. One of the interesting things about that is that's the only space that you can actually live. There's only one space that you can actually live today, and that's the space where you are running the road, the race that's right in front of you. Why do you need to hear that? Well, because we have this propensity to be anywhere but here. Sometimes we're living in the past. Uh, some of you just have your way of just, you find yourself, you know, reliving old glory days. We're thinking, oh, those were good old days. Those were great. Many of you live in regrets. Oh, I wish I could go back. I wish I could hit rewind. I wish I could undo. Here's the thing. You can't. You can't. Paul says, here's the thing. One thing I do, I forget those things which are behind me. I can't live in the past, but neither can I live in the future. You know, Jesus told us, hey, you know, tomorrow has got enough trouble of its own. Hey, live where you are. Seek God first in this day. And there becomes this space that the place where you and I are meant to live is right where we are. That in one sense, kind of seeing all that's taking place, seeing the eternity that's coming, seeing the way that God's going to work at all, but then recognizing what we get to do in this moment is is do that. And Father, I want to give it to you kind of as a very practical exhortation, though many of those words I hope are. I think it was Elizabeth Elliot that really coined the phrase in powerful ways that she simply would say, hey, you know, sometimes the key to living your life is just do the next thing. Just take the next step. That just wherever that is, just where you are, there's a road, you, there, it's not anywhere else you can live. You, you can't go back. You, you can't, you know, change. You're in a space, and, and the thing is be fully, in, like, go that way. Do that next thing. Be fully present. One of my favorite quotes is from Jim Elliott, where he simply said, wherever you are, be all there. 
Like if where, where you are, just be present and say, okay, here's where I am. I mean, yes, it's fascinating to think about the prophetic realities of what God's doing, but I can't control those, much less understand them. And yet the thing that I'm called to do that Daniel was being called to do is he says, Daniel, go your way. Go on the way that I have for you. Continue on that. Just live that. Go on the road that is yours. And that becomes the exhortation for you and I now. That the challenge that Daniel hears as he's ending all of this great book is this reality of just saying, hey, that's what I need. Now, it doesn't leave that because, again, it really is one exhortation. But as a part of that, catch the next thing that he says. It says in verse 10, Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. Many are going to be purified. Many are going to be made white, he says, but the wicked aren't. Many are going to go that way. Many who are going to live their lives, and this is what's going to happen. They're going to be purified. They're going to have their sins washed away so that they can be made white, be made right before God, and God's going to work a refining work in them. Can I say it this way? If you're a child of God, if you believe in Jesus, and you've embraced Him, and you've been born again, that's you. <laughs> that's you. You have been made right. You've been purified and you've been made right in Christ so that his righteousness now clothes us and we now have no more condemnation, the Bible tells us, no, no stain that would be a part of it, that we are literally, you know, washed white in the blood of the Lamb so that we are his and, and now he's working a good refining work in us. That's an incredible reality that recognizes what God is doing. And yet it's still an invitation that we would be going that way. That we'd say, okay, that's the life that he's doing. That's the life that I want. So in contrast to this, he says, well, that's what some are going to be doing. They're going to be living their lives through this space, being purified, made white and refined. But the wicked, he says, they're going to do wickedly. Those who are going to walk this way, it's still going to be there. And so it's almost as if you could look at life, how people are living their lives, almost as if we were looking at, you know, the lanes of a race or being run or whatever. He says some are going to run that race. They're going to live their lives from where they are to the end, and they're going to be in the lanes that are making them right. They're going to be choosing just to be purified and refined, but then there's going to be a whole lot of other people, and they're going to live broken, fractured, wicked lives, and they're still going to go that way. Now, he's giving us this perspective of life. Now, the danger is if you only had this verse, it would seem almost pessimistic. It'd almost be like, hey, you know what? The wicked are just going to do wickedly. That's where they are. <laughs> That's, that, as if there is no hope for them or even that God would long for them to change. But that would entirely be untrue. That there's a sense that we would look on these two ways of living life, and God is always longing for people to leave the wicked lifestyle and turn to the righteous lifestyle. I think about how God would say it in the book of uh, Ezekiel. He says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, God says. He says, he sees this whole thing. He says, I don't, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not happy about this. It doesn't, I have no pleasure that people are gonna live wicked lives and live all their days that way and die in wickedness. God says, I don't want that. I, that's no pleasure for me, and he appeals, hey, leave that lifestyle. Turn and turn to God. Can I say it right here? If that's you, if you're in this room, if you're joining us online right now, and you're living a life that's rebellious and wicked, and right now your course is taking you towards a judgment at the end of time, then hear God's heart. He is pleading with you. Turn. Change lanes. Turn from that wicked lifestyle to a righteous lifestyle. He is always calling for that, and there's no sense that as we look on these verses that he's kind of, you know, just saying it's never going to work. No, people are always changing, and we long that it would. That said, as he kind of says this here, it's not really that invitation. It is a space where we're just recognizing that's the course that's there. That from where we are to the end of times, there really is this honest truth that, you know, some are going to be purified but some are not. I mean, there, there are people who are going to live wicked lives, and it's going to go that way to the end. 
Now, that's an interesting kind of quick perspective. What's interesting is it's the same way the book of Revelation ends. So Daniel's giving us this eternal perspective in the Old Testament. It's kind of comparative book in the New Testament is the book of Revelation. And in the last chapter of the book of Revelation, it says much the same thing. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Looking at almost these two different ways of life and how that people are going to continue that until the last space, it's a statement of reality. It's a statement that that's the way that people are going to walk through that life, and somehow all by itself that can be helpful. It is, honestly, as we've journeyed with us in the, in the book of Daniel, he's definitely talked to us about that. We've recognized we live in a broken world that's not going to get fixed, that to the end of times, there's going to be, you know, these streams of wickedness that flow in our world, and sometimes that's just helpful to go, like, I know that. <laughs> I mean, I know our world is broken, and it's never all going to turn to Jesus. There's always going to be these broken sides of mankind. It seems to be getting worse and worse in the last days. I expect that. I recognize that. I get that that's where we're going. I understand that that's going to be a part of this whole thing. That said, I think it probably makes sense, though we kind of recognize these as, hey, these are the two courses that are there. There is an encouragement for us to choose the right thing. There is an encouragement kind of almost built in these two realities that you should be choosing that right course, that there is a sense that if we're saying it this way, hey, do the next thing, then we'd also say to you, do the right thing, that part of what God would tell you is, here's where you are. You live in this moment in time. You can't live in any other moment in time. Be present. Be present right where you are, but do the right thing. Choose the right thing. Make that right choice. Choose to say, I want to be the one who's being purified and made right and be refined. If there's, if there's a choice before me, if there's a you know, fork in the road, hey, when those choices come, God is telling Daniel, hey, Daniel, go your way. And he's calling him to that righteous place of living, and he's calling the same for you and for me. I think about that exhortation, and then I pause for a moment and just pan back over the book of Daniel. I think about it. For you guys who have been with us over the last number of weeks where we've kind of journeyed through the book of Daniel, we've talked about this a bunch. In fact, we called our study in the book of Daniel living right side up in an upside down world that we recognize that Daniel lived in a very hard space and time. Israel had been conquered. He was taken captive into Babylon. He lived in these foreign spaces. He lived under ungodly kings. He lived in times of oppression and difficulty. But one of the key factors of the book of Daniel was that he was a genuinely godly, good man. I don't know where that leaves you. I don't know if you feel that, if you've journeyed with us through the book of Daniel. If you haven't, hey, you can get them online. You can find the whole study you know, on YouTube or off our website. You can get a DVD, CD. We'd long for you to do that. But if you could do that, you would look and say, you know, Daniel really marks himself out as this. He lived a good, he, was, he did the right thing in a broken world. We got that at the very beginning of the book of Daniel, when as a young man he's taken captive, and he determined not to defile himself with the, the things that the, the world was defiling. He chose to, to hold faithful to God in that brokenness. And we continue to watch this, this man just you know, represent God, hold to God, live for God, that he would be a man of prayer all of his days. You would get to Daniel chapter 6, and you got this place where even his enemies search his whole life for some you know, sin, some brokenness in their life that they could use against him, and they find none. And Daniel just kind of just speaks to us as this man that is this, that he's been one that lived well in a broken world, so much so that God actually holds him is uniquely that way. I mean, it's an interesting thing in the whole Bible. Daniel's one of the few characters that we have more than just like a half a chapter about that we have, we have no record of anything he ever did wrong. Now, we know that he did wrong. We know he wasn't perfect because Jesus is the only one who's perfect, but somehow it just didn't ever define his life. Somehow it never defined who he was, so much so that in the book of Ezekiel, God puts Daniel on the same course as, as Noah and Job. He said if, if Noah, Job, and Daniel were to stand before him as three of the most righteous men who ever lived, and it's an incredible space to kind of look at that, to see a man who did that. But I just want you to hear it because that's what Daniel has been. 
But even at this moment, as he's about to kind of end the book of Daniel, God just lays that out to him, and it seems to be an encouragement. Like, Daniel, keep doing that. You know what? The world is going where the world's going to go. It, yes, the world's going to be broken. It's going to be broken. It's through the whole thing. God's going to do all that needs to be done, but you go your way, Daniel. Do the right thing. You do the right thing in the midst of that space. You be that one who would walk in the midst of everything that that would be. You be the one who would see that take place, and certainly that's part of the encouragement. So Daniel's hearing this word from God that is a word for us to, as well, that he needs just to go the way that's in front of him, just walking in that more, choosing that right course in the midst of it. And then God, God adds this. Notice with me verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Okay, kind of interesting. What in the world did he just say? Well, let me give it to you this way. Part of it, he's going to be encouraging Daniel in the kind of actual moment, blessed is the one who waits. But before we get there, let's go and just try to pick, figure this out. So he gives us some very specific dates. 1,290 days, 1,335 days. What does that look like? Well, he actually gives a very specific timeline and very, very specific beginning. Now, if you're joining us this morning and you haven't been with us in Daniel, this could be challenging. I apologize because we're kind of jumping into the middle of a story. We're jumping into an account that is actually this specific re revelation took place from chapter 10 to chapter 12, and God has unpacked a lot of different things. He's unpacked things that we know as the end times. And so over the last few weeks and st few studies, I've given you kind of a template that looks like this on the screen that is a timeline from where we are to the rapture that will be the next thing on, on, the, on the event on the horizon to moving into something that the Bible calls the tribulation a seven-year period of time that is coming on the world. But very specifically, the great tribulation or the great part of the tribulation that is the last half that will then go into the millennium and into eternity. And again, we've talked about that over the last number of weeks, and so we're not fully unpacking that here, but we want to zoom in because there is this space of kind of gazing at this time that is known as the great tribulation, a time that he talked about earlier in chapter 12 of, chapter of Daniel that is going to be the worst season that the world has ever known. And he gives us the beginning of that mark, which is also the beginning of these two timelines. And again, notice it with me in verse 11. He says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up. Okay, pause. When is that going to be? Well, we talked about it back in chapter 11, but I'm just going to tell you right now, it's right in the middle of the seven-year tribulation. It's the halfway mark that really is the beginning of the great tribulation. Much of that was given in chapter 11. If you're interested, you can go back and get that. But here's kind of the key factor for our understanding this morning. We know exactly how long that great tribulation is going to be. He has spelled it out. He's told us it was three and a half years. In fact, this is recorded for us over and over in the prophetic literature found in the Bible. Interestingly enough, he doesn't always refer to it the same way. Sometimes he'll say three and a half years. Sometimes he'll use the one that he used in our last passage earlier in Daniel, which is a time times and a half a time, which is another kind of euphemism for saying the same thing. Other times he'll break it up into months, and he'll say it's going to be 42 months, which in, in you know, trying to figuring that out, that's three and a half years. Other times, he'll break it into days, which would be 1,260 days. That's a 360-day year times three and a half, so it's 1,260 days. Again, just track with me for a moment, because all that is helpful into this moment, because now he adds to it. He says, from that moment, which is the abomination of desolation, there shall be 1,290 days. That's an extra 30 days. That's a 30 days past uh, the end of the great tribulation. And then he says, blessed is he who waits, in verse 12, and comes to the 1,335 days. That's an extra 45 days past that first marker or 75 days past the end of the great tribulation. So that raises just big questions for us. Like, so what is that? What takes place 30 days after the great tribulation? What takes place 45 days after that? What can I tell you? I have no idea. I mean, I, I mean, I'll even be more clear. 
nobody knows for sure because he doesn't tell us here. He doesn't tell us what those are. In fact, nowhere in Scripture does he unpack for us exactly what those are going to be. We could make guesses. We could say, well, maybe the 30 days past is past the coming of Jesus in judgment. That tells us that Jesus comes back at the end of the Great Tribulation, and he brings judgment across the Antichrist, and everybody who joined himself to the Antichrist will be defeated and destroyed. Maybe that's the 30-day mark. Maybe saying, hey, like anybody who chose the Antichrist, they're out. You know, so if you make it past that, well done. Maybe the next 45 days, some had said, well, maybe that's the, the judgment that the Bible seems to say is going into the millennium, which is kind of the sheep and goat judgment of Matthew 25. Maybe. Those are good guesses, but let's just be clear. They're guesses. They're guesses. Now, let me put it back to you another way. If you and I needed to know exactly what these two events were going to be, he would have told us. I mean, I'm just, I mean, if you absolutely needed what those two things, like I need to know what's happening at those moments, if the information is what you needed, he would have given it. He didn't give it to us because maybe that would be a distraction. What did he give us? Well, in the midst of that, he gave a very powerful exhortation. Go back and see it again. There in verse 12, blessed is he who waits. Yeah, blessed is he who waits. Blessed is he who makes it through those. Blessed is he who endures. Now, that's a powerful reality, and it's going to be a true reality for those that live in that space, but actually it's always true for us that there is this sense that God is calling us to be those who wait, who wait for him, who wait on him, who endure, who trust him. And I need to tell you that's a key part of our lives, and it's a key part of what he's saying here. I could probably say it in the opposite way this way, don't quit. Don't quit on God. Yeah, that's what he's specifically speaking here. He's calling us to be those who endure, who press through, who don't give up. Now, before I go there, let me just very quickly say what I'm saying and also what I'm not saying. Sometimes the race that we're running, the lane that we're in, if you will, changes through no work of our own. Maybe something happens. We think about those in our fellowship. Some have had incredible losses that take place in their world. Their whole world has shifted. I want you to understand, this isn't that. This isn't saying that if you, you, the lane changed, that somehow you did wrong. Nor is it saying sometimes we don't make changes, that sometimes God guides us and says, okay, this is what I was doing, this is what I am doing. Hey, that's part of the life we live. But the key fact is not to quit with God, not to stop holding on to Him. I think about it this way. We go back to that verse there in Hebrews 12, and it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And it's like that. I mean, he highlights this idea like endure, don't quit. There's a race that's in front of you. There's a race that you're in. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't, you know, be in the midst of that race and then all of a sudden just sit down on the sidelines waiting for things to be over. Keep in the race. Stay moving. Stay as a part of it. That becomes the part of it. In fact, Jesus would say the similar thing. He says it in Matthew 24. He says, blessed is he who endures to the end. I'm sorry, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Interestingly, Matthew 24, which is where this quote is from, it's dealing with all the same subject matter. If you know your Bible, you know in Matthew 24, he's dealing with the Great Tribulation. He talks about the worst space that's ever coming around the history of mankind that Jesus said is worse than anything that has ever happened. He's talking about the coming of, of, of the Antichrist. He's talking about the signs that lead to the end. He's talking about how that wickedness would be growing and the love of many would grow cold. He talks about all the things that mark the last days. And in the midst of it, he gives the same encouragement. Don't quit. Endure. Be one who stays. Wow. So what does that look like? 
Well, let me tell you what it doesn't look like. If you've been reading with us through the Bible, then you have maybe one of the best pictures of what that looks like. If you're reading with us through the book of Numbers, you were reading yesterday about the children of Israel who were making their way following Moses. They, fought, they go through the Exodus. They go through the Passover. They find themselves being brought to the borders of the promised land, and they quit. They quit on God. They turn back from him. They reject him and, and begin to think about going their own direction. Hebrews would speak about what happened in that moment this way, where he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. He says, here's what you need to be aware of. This heart of unbelief that quits on God, that departs from God, that pulls back and pulls away from Him. He says, Beware, lest any of you be there. He says, For who having heard rebelled. Indeed, was it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? So you have this entire, you know, group of Israelites who come with Moses through the parting of the Red Sea, through all the preparations. They all hear God's invitation to to do life with him, to continue with him. He says, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. Now, it's a much bigger story than I have time to unpack for you. But the children of Israel, they get there and they quit. They quit on God, and God says, fine, you don't want it, you can't have it. You don't want my best for your life, then I'm taking it away. And they will spend the next 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years living lives, never fully apprehending all that God could have had for them. It's a judgment that comes upon them, but it's a reality that he's telling us, and he's saying, hey, that's what we don't want. We don't want this place that these people, they couldn't enter because their hearts entered into unbelief. And they departed, as it says earlier from that, from the living God. So the challenge is to be one that doesn't do that. To to be one that says, okay, I'm going to hold fast to him. To be one that would do that. Or I could say it this way as we're saying, hey, do the next thing, do the right thing. I would say do the enduring thing. Do the thing that says, I'm not going to move away. One of my favorite pictures of this is in John 7. If you guys know the story, Jesus is there with the disciples. They've just fed uh, the 5,000. But then he shares some really just powerful but complicated truths that are confusing. So much so, it tells us in John 7 that many of those who are with him departed from him. That they just quit. They, They quit following him. They quit being followers of Jesus. And the Bible tells us then that Jesus turns over and he looks at the 12. These disciples who have been with him, he says, are you going to go away also? Are you going to quit also? Peter wonderfully speaks up and he just says, Lord, where else would we go? (laughs) You're the only one that has eternal life. I mean, like, there's nowhere else to go. And that's this powerful reality that I'm kind of encouraging for you right now. It doesn't always mean that you understand. It doesn't always mean that, that you get it or understand how everything that's God's going to work, but there'd be like, I'm not going anywhere else. There's nobody else out there. There's no help found in anywhere else in the world. Why would I look to something else? I'm going to hold fast to him. I'm going I'm to I'm abide in Christ. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to live that way. And that's the encouragement that's being found here, that he's telling Daniel, hey, you need to go your way. Like, live the life that's right in front of you, doing the right thing, enduring, like waiting, like trusting me, holding on to me so that you can make it through everything that's there. It becomes the encouragement that Daniel needed, we need, And so he pulls it together with one more thought. Notice it with me in verse 13. But you, go your way till the end. For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. Hey, Daniel, keep going. Keep going until the end. Yeah, that's part of this exhortation. It's not separate from it, but it's a part of it that everything he's been telling us kind of flows into this space that he's calling us to live our life and run to the end. Now he tells Daniel, hey, Daniel, you're going to rest and then you're going to arise and you're going to enter your inheritance. Can I just simply tell you that's exactly what Daniel's road looked like? Daniel would keep living his life and... 
then he would die. His life would come to an end, but his life wouldn't end there. He would enter his rest, but then he's going to arise in the last days with Jesus, and he's going to enter into eternity, into his eternal inheritance. That's the road. If you could see Daniel's lane, if you could stand where he's being just standing, God is telling him, Daniel, this is your lane. Go your way. Run the race that's right in front of you and run it till you get to the end because that's where you're going. That's the, the road that I have for you. Now, I think that's Daniel's course, but can I tell you, Christian, that is your course. That is your course. That he's telling us, hey, we're gonna enter into our rest. We're gonna come to an end in this life. Now, I recognize someone's gonna say, wait, 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 Jim, I'm hoping for the rapture. Me too. <laughs> I mean, I hope the rapture happens today, but can I just give it to you this way? In some ways, it's six, one half dozen of the other. Either way, you're done. Either way, this life is over. Whether your life ends with a car crash or, or sickness or the rapture, your life ends. Every one of us are going to end this path. Every one of us are going to end the space that lives in this place. But if you're a follower of Jesus, that's not your end. When Jesus rises, you're going to rise. And we're going to enter into our eternal inheritance. Heaven is set before us. Our journey is a beautiful journey. And the end of it is incredibly beautiful. And so the challenge is that he's calling us to run our race with that in view. That we're to run our race kind of eyeing, if you will. I know where the finish line is. I know where this goes. I know what the road is. And I know where I'm going and where I want that to be. And he's calling us to that. Paul would say it this way. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. I mean, he just kind of pulls the metaphor out for us, right? He says, if you're in a race, you want to win. If you're in a race, only one person can break the tape. Only one person can win that race. Live your life to, win, to, to break the tape. Live your life so that you could run that race and, and enter into that with, with, with just crossing that finish line in a, in a way that's joyful. Now, for Paul, that was exactly how he tried to live his life. He gave it to us this way in Acts chapter 20. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. He was having a number of hard choices. Fears, doubts were being put before him, things that would, you know, kind of complicate the journey that he's on. And so he, Paul's explaining how he lives his life. He says, I'm not really worried about everything else. I'm not worried about dying. I'm not worried about being persecuted. I'm not worried what people will do to me. He says, I want to finish my race. I know that I'm going to reach the end of my life, and I want to get to that tape and I want to cross the finish line with joy. I want, I want to get to that moment, and I want my moment that I cross from this life into that presence of Jesus, I want it to be a, you know, crossing with joy. I want to cross the finish line in a way that causes me to enter into everything that that is. Now, that's a powerful reality. That's a good way to want to do life, and it seems that Paul did. In the last letter we have from the Apostle Paul, he seems to be right at, the, at the, just the end of his life. And in 2 Timothy 4, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We don't know exactly what it was, but Paul feels like his life is quickly ebbing away. Maybe sickness, maybe something else. He says, I already feel like it's there. I've, I've reached the end. I've reached the end of my journey, and it's time for me to go home. My departure, he says, is at hand. But you know what he says? I did it. I have held fast. I've run the race. I, I've, I've kept going. I never turned aside. I didn't leave it. I have finished the race, he says. He says, that's the joy that I have. He says, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only... Not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He says, I have lived for this day. I've lived for that day that I could cross the finish line 
and, and enter into the joy of, uh, of Christ. I've, I've lived for that day that it would be there, and he says, it's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to find that moment where the righteous judge will honor and speak life and, and help and, and, and wonder and everything that that is. He says, that's my joy. I'm, I'm looking forward to crossing the finish line and receiving that. But then he just simply tells us, it's not mine alone. Everybody who has lived this way, everybody who's loved his appearing, then this is your expectation. In other words, it's unlike a race in this place. See, the problem with a race is only one person can cross the finish line and, and, and break the tape. Only one person can actually be the one who wins and, and, and crosses that. But, but Paul says, every one of us who have lived this way we, we, we get to that moment and we cross it with a reward. We cross that finish line with joy. We cross that finish line where we're gonna receive just that honor that comes from Christ. That's what he's calling you and I to do. That he's telling us to live our lives that way. So kind of again, just using the, the way I've been saying it, hey, we're supposed to be doing the next thing, the right thing, the thing that's enduring, but the thing that's eternal living this moment in light of eternity, living this moment with a recognition that the road that you and I are on, hey, it's taking us that direction. That's a powerful reality. It's what Daniel needed to hear. See, we think about everything that's happening here. Daniel has seen so many incredible things in the book of Daniel, and he's asking questions like, God, I don't understand. There's still so much more I don't understand. And God just tells him, Daniel, just go your way. Go the road that's in front of you, the righteous road, the enduring road, the eternal road. And, and I think it's a powerful encouragement. It's a powerful exhortation that Daniel obviously needed to hear. But it's the right way to end the book of Daniel. Through everything that we're saying, not only is, again, I think what God would say to Daniel, but certainly he's saying to you and me this morning, that he would look at us and say, hey, here's what I'm wanting you to do. If you can even begin to conceive, hey, God is doing things. There's an end of this world coming. There is a judgment. There is a heaven. There is a hell. If you believe that, understand this, there's so much you don't understand, and you don't need to. You can't. His ways are higher than your ways, and they're higher than mine. But if you get that, then here's what you need to do. Run that race that's in front of you. Like, this is where you are. You're where you are today. In this space, we're saying, okay, I'm gonna live my life in such a way that I'm gonna keep moving forward, gonna just choose the right thing, do the eternal thing, and, and fix my eyes and say, I wanna finish with joy. I wanna get to the end of this race, whether it be you know, another hour or another decade. I wanna finish this race with joy. I want to live my life that way. And that becomes the encouragement for you and me this morning. So I want to just set, give it to you just applicationally and say, as we end, I don't know where this meets you here this morning. I, I don't know what this is for you. It might be here this morning that you're not a follower of Jesus. It, it might be in this space that in this midst of this, God's going to be calling you into eternity, and we'd long for that. If that's you this morning, we invite you into relationship with Jesus. Or maybe it's you, and you're here, and you're a follower of Jesus, and this looks exactly like how you're doing your life. Well done. Keep moving forward. Like, I, you could say it better, like you're saying, that's exactly how I do my life. I'm trying to run the race that's in front of me. That's a good space to go. But I have to believe that for somebody, it's a correction. Maybe if you could kind of view the, the course of life, you found yourself sitting uh, on the side of the race, or maybe you veered off course, but God is a God who's, who, who's fixable, who can look at and fix your life and fix everything that's gone in the midst of this, and he would invite you to that. Then he invites you to say, okay, hey, if you get it, I'll tell you what, I'm inviting you to this moment, run your race. The one that's right in front of you, not the one that was there yesterday or five years ago or 10 years, where you are today, run the race that's right in front of you. Do it in a way that you're choosing the right thing and you're not quitting on God, you're holding fast to him and you're aiming at eternity. Yeah, I have a sense that that's what the book of Daniel is supposed to leave us with. That we've talked about this whole thing as we end our study in the book of Daniel, that he's calling you and I to live right side up in an upside down world. And I don't know where that leaves you, but I hope it encourages you.
So let's do this. You can close your Bibles, your notebooks if you haven't already done so, and we're just going to take a moment to pray. Maybe it's that surrender to Jesus. Maybe it's just to be encouraged and maybe a specific part of it. Or again, maybe one of those things is corrective, where God is trying to get your life back on course this morning. And through Daniel's exhortation that he needed, you need to hear as well. Go your way. So let's take a quiet moment as we do on Sunday mornings, each one of us, and wherever that's found you, would you just take a quiet moment and pray? I'll do the same, and then we'll close together and worship in just a moment. God, thank you for the book of Daniel. Thank you for the things that you've spoken to us in days past, but the things you've spoken to us today. Thank you for the example, the, the wonder of a man who lived right in a world that was so upside down. God, I pray that you would meet us. And I do pray for any that they're on the wrong road right now. They're on a road of wickedness that is leading to judgment. I pray for rescue. I pray that you draw these to you. I pray for those who are yours, but they're not running their race. One way or another, they found themselves on the wrong road. Would you, would you turn them back to you today? But Lord, for those of us who are yours, I do pray that we would just hear the encouragement to run the race that's in front of us, that we would go our way. God, would you help us? Would you meet us in that? Would you cause us to be those who this day are met by and encouraged by you? I pray for that for me and for each one of us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May God encourage you on that space. May you run that race that's in front of you. If you need to talk to someone about that or where you are, Christ, we'd love to be a part of that. You can come and talk to us afterwards. But right now, let's close in worship. So why don't you stand? We're going to close in a final worship song. As you do that, I just want to bless you in God's name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.